Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. I give a rat's ass about Twitter. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, Bedlam is upon us, my friend. Are you getting ready for, for Thanksgiving, though, in the meantime? Uh, Thanksgiving is really just kind of a, a hiccup in the middle of the week to get me to Bedlam. Bedlam is the highlight of my week by far. Thanksgiving will be fun. Thanksgiving's great. We'll eat a bunch of food. But let's be honest. We're all just killing time until Saturday night. We really are. And uh, I'm so excited. I will be up there. I know you will, too. And uh, props to friend of the show, Matt Amillion, one of the original PFB contributors. He's real tight with Kyle Porter. He uh, hooked me me and my dad up with some uh, some sweet tickets. So I, I uh, will have a better seat in the house than I thought I was going to have originally. Nice. So we're going to do it up the right way. And very appreciative of Matt for, for thinking of me and my dad's fired up, Colby. Uh, we, we rode together in a long car ride before we taped the podcast with him, but uh, we were breaking the game down. And I know you and Kim are, are fired up for the game as well. Did she enjoy being on the pod? She did, yes. And uh, the listeners seem to respond to it pretty well. It's always fun to have the parents on. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully hopefully everybody's predictions for this weekend are right. I, I've really bounced back and forth all week. I really wish because it's a holiday week, we're, we're recording so early in the week on a Wednesday afternoon. I, I think so much of what I'm going to predict comes down to health. And I think OU is coming in very healthy. And the problem is I don't know about OSU. OSU might start their starting five on the offensive line. They might start two of their starting five on the offensive line. I'm not sure at this point. So that's kind of a, a wild card that uh, you just take it into account and hope you guess right. Yeah, I mean, we won't know probably till kickoff or certainly warm-ups if Godlevsky's going to play and, and the other injuries along the offensive line. We think Jalen Warren's going to play, but is it going to be somewhat of a, a Justin Blackman situation in Bedlam in 2010 and Stillwater? He was dragging one of his legs behind him, still at 100 yards, but he was clearly not 100%. So hopefully Warren is closer to 100% than when we saw in uh, Lubbock, Texas. But we're going to have Eddie Radosevich on the show from Sooner Scoop and 107.7 The Franchise. He's also the president and chairman of the Green Bean Casserole uh, fan club. So we're going to have Eddie on to break down a little bit about what's going on with the Sooners and just kind of get his feelings on the game, having covered OU all season long. But first, let's hear from Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I've got my OSU spirit wear to wear to the game. I, you know, Colby, I... I didn't have any OSU gear for really the last 10, 15 years because I couldn't wear OSU gear around. You know, I covered Oklahoma. I covered Oklahoma State. It just would have been – you're just asking for trouble to be rocking Pistol Pete everywhere when you cover the Sooners. So, I, I've had to stock up a little bit in anticipation. So, I appreciate Chris's University spirit for that. And uh, without further ado, Colby, before we break down the Bedlam game, let's get to the latest college football playoff rankings um, and a bit of a surprise. Cincinnati moves up to four. They did absolutely destroy SMU to get up there. But uh, the way it shakes out to me, Colby, it, it almost appears, tell me if I'm wrong, that with Ohio State, Alabama, and Cincinnati, OSU needs one of those two teams, one of those three teams to lose. Because if, if everyone wins out, I, I would love to just sit here and say, OSU's resume is good enough to get in, but as we're seeing with the likes of Malcolm Rodriguez not making the Butkus finalist award, is which is just insane. We can talk more about that later. OSU didn't get any respect, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a little uh, concerned about that. I don't know. Am I overreacting? No, the reality is Oklahoma State does not control its own destiny. It's in the hands of the committee. Now, the really big game that Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State all need to go one particular way is Alabama, Georgia next weekend. Alabama cannot win that game. That would be a disaster for Oklahoma State if Alabama beats Georgia, because if they do, both of those teams are getting in, no doubt about it. But let's say for the sake of argument, Georgia does beat Alabama, Ohio State wins out. One and two are locked in. Georgia and Ohio State, one and two, those are locked in. So then you have two spots left that will, two of those spots will go to Notre Dame, Cincinnati, or 
the winner of the Big 12. That could be OU or OSU at this point. If Baylor uh, ends up winning the Big 12 and goes, what would that be, 11-2, and two, they wouldn't get in. So don't really have to worry about that too much, I don't think. Uh, but if OU or OSU win out, then it would be two spots for three teams between Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and one of the Oklahoma schools. Now, I think that one of the Oklahoma schools would be deserving of that spot uh, more so than Cincinnati or Notre Dame. So I would think that one of those Oklahoma schools should be slotted in at three. But at the very worst, that school should be slotted in at four. Notre Dame's resume is it's really kind of laughable. I mean, yeah, they're beating who's on their schedule. They played one good team. They lost that game. Uh, it's their only loss because they've played such a weak schedule. And, and I just don't understand the continued chances that are given to Notre Dame I mean, I guess I do understand it. I just don't agree with it. It's the helmet logo. I mean, Notre Dame has a helmet logo. We get that. Now, Cincinnati, I mean, if if the first group of five team that gets in just so happens to be the year they do it to justify keeping Oklahoma State out, wouldn't that be the most just college football thing ever, Carson? Yes, it would. And I'm fully prepared for that. I mean, I just – I don't trust this committee as far as I can throw them. Um before I get to them, you know, Adam McClintock, who I've mentioned on the show before, he's, he's pretty lockstep with what this committee will do. He says Oklahoma State is very much in this. They want Georgia to win out, which you mentioned. They want Cincinnati to lose or win ugly. Would benefit from a Notre Dame loss, but not needed, he says. OSU also needs to win out as impressively as possible. Do that, and they may find the number four seed. So, like, best case scenario, he's saying they get the four seed which I just think their resume, if they do win out, would be so far superior to Cincinnati and Notre Dame and even Alabama for that matter, um, even if Alabama has one loss. But, but if Alabama beats Georgia, then I think Alabama would have the more impressive resume than Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, you beat Georgia, who's clearly the number one, by far the number one team. I, I'm, I guess you're right. Uh, that would be a more impressive resume. But they would certainly have a more impressive than Alabama if they had two losses, which – Yes. Again, I, I still think you'd have talking heads on ESPN saying, well, I just think Alabama's better. I just, I, I, I test. I mean, uh, they just, they got more draft picks, which is like the, the narratives they all, they all fall on. So we can't worry about it too much because obviously we got Bedlam on Saturday, then a whole nother can of worms with the big 12 championship game uh, with potentially Baylor or a rematch against Oklahoma. I guess if it's a rematch, it's all a moot point concerning the playoff. But I just – I get so triggered. And before I get to this quote from Gary Barta that just drove me up a wall, I didn't see it until today. So I got triggered like, you know, almost 24 hours after the committee spoke. But before we get to that, um, well, I just completely lost my train of thought as what I was going to bring up. Well, then just um, go to Gary Barta because I saw the same quote that you saw. And... What was I going to say? I'm, I'm going full olds here. <laughs> Any, anyway, um, you already started your long weekend. Have you already dipped into the turkey, Carson? I haven't dipped into the turkey or the alcohol yet. I promise. All right, we have. Um, to leave you, I promise. God, I forgot what I was going to say. It's a really important point. That's what I'm trying to remember. I'll just move on to Gary Barta. Uh, how about this quote from Gary Barta on Oklahoma State? The challenge is: Can that defense hold up against a much more dynamic offense if they end up continuing to? To win playing great defense, the committee will recognize that and rank them accordingly. At no point in the history of the college football playoff have we ever considered that fact when we talk about or when the committee talks about Michigan, Michigan State, frankly, Ohio State's defense playing in that league, the Big Ten. We don't talk about that at all with Clemson playing those absolutely horrible basketball schools that happen to play football. At no point has this ever been brought up. They just say, well, look at the metrics. I mean, they're, they're playing great defense. But all of a sudden, when it's Oklahoma State, there's no way Oklahoma State could have the best defense in the country. They, they must not be playing any dynamic offenses. Well, yeah, they haven't played Oklahoma yet. And if anyone's paying attention, Oklahoma's not been dynamic offensively at all this year. So it just, Colby, the, they move the goalposts based on which helmet logo they're talking about. The criteria changes year to year. I remember what I was going to bring up earlier. There's precedent here with conference championship games too. Remember how Baylor and TCU just they slid the goalpost there. Well, they they don't have that extra data point of a conference championship game. So 
it almost doesn't matter, Colby. I'm, I'm kind of resigned to OSU's fate unless things fall perfectly because you got Gary Barta up there talking complete nonsense. Yeah, things do need to fall really well. The idea that Oklahoma State doesn't have a good defense because they haven't yet faced the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Kansas City Chiefs is absolute nonsense to me. Nobody is playing a juggernaut week in and week out. That That's the worst part about that argument is – Nobody goes out week in and week out and plays Ohio State and then plays Alabama the next week and then has Ole Miss the following week and then has Wake Forest the following week and then OU. It's nobody, nobody's playing that schedule. Everybody's playing their conference schedule, which if you're one of the top five teams in the country, 80% of your conference schedule is going to look like rum dumps. You're just going to beat the hell out of them because you're a lot better than they are. That's going to be 80% of your conference schedule. And that's been most of Oklahoma State's. Oklahoma State is one of the five best teams in the country, I think. We'll have two two more chances uh, to prove it. I think they're one of the best five teams in the country. You can only play the games in front of you, and Oklahoma State has dominated. It's not like, to, to me, here's the part. It's not like this defense is giving up 400 yards, but they're forcing turnovers in the red zone, so they're holding teams to, to low point numbers. I mean, Texas Tech just barely crept over 100 yards in the fourth quarter. TCU was a disaster. West Virginia was a disaster. Kansas, all these other teams, even the lost Iowa State. It wasn't because Iowa State went out and dropped 48. Oklahoma State's defense is elite. But the problem is, it's not about this year's Oklahoma State team. That's not how the committee is ranking Oklahoma State. The committee and Gary Borda clearly, I mean, laid that out for us. They are ranking Oklahoma State based on the reputation of Oklahoma State from years past. And short of being given an opportunity to prove that wrong, I don't know how you really break out of that mold. Now, maybe Gary Barta is hinting at the fact that if Oklahoma State does this against Oklahoma, that they that that then they will respect Oklahoma State's defense. But you're still living off reputation there. This Oklahoma offense is an elite. But maybe the playoff committee looks at this Oklahoma offense and says, oh, well, that's OU. That's Lincoln Riley. This is an elite offense. So if Oklahoma State can do it next week against the Sooners, then we know they're for real. That would also be logically flawed because this OU offense is an elite. I just so much of the college football rankings is based on reputation that you've built over the last five to 10 years. And that is such a, a massive, massive flaw in the system. And there's no good way to fix it other than to expand the playoff, because if it's a 12 teamer and you get left out at 13, chances are you had some opportunities to be in that top 12. If Oklahoma state does everything right all year and loses by a field goal and aims, and they come in at five behind Notre Dame, then that's a joke. And again, I just really don't think there's any way to fix it other than to expand the thing. Which I think they're going to do. And they, I think they frankly have to do based on just the way the sport's going and all the money they can make first and foremost. But it's just amazing to me, Colby, that the big 12 is looked down upon so much when the ACC exists, when the PAC 12 exists You want to talk about a conference full of terrible football teams. Oregon State can make the Pac-12 championship game this year if they beat Oregon. Think about that. Oregon State, who hasn't been relevant in football since they beat, again, times change, but Notre Dame being overrated and getting into bowl games they shouldn't be in. When they Oregon State with Chad Johnson destroyed Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, that's the last time they were relevant in football, and they're going to be playing potentially for the Pac-12 championship. It's just amazing to me. And people still say the Big 12 isn't any good. It's like, have you watched the ACC? Have you watched the Pac-12? Frankly, I'm the loudest proponent of this. The Big 10 stinks besides Ohio State. Michigan's Michigan's a, a good football team. I'd say they're good. They're not great. And what happens? They're 10-1 they're and one mostly because they play the Rutgers of the world. Here, here's Michigan's schedule, Colby. Here are the dynamic offenses that Michigan has faced this year. Western Michigan, Washington, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern, Michigan State, Indiana, Penn State, Maryland. What would OSU's defense have done to those teams, Colby? What what would the stats read for OSU's defense playing that schedule instead of the one they played? I mean, it looked like the stats that Oklahoma State's defense has put up the last month. It would be shocking. It would be shocking to the eye to see what Oklahoma State would do to those teams defensively. It's 
it's crazy. We watch it every week, week in and week out, and then we listen to the committee, and it's just obvious that they're not watching. I, I don't know how else to put it. And if they're not watching, what are we even doing here? I just the whole process is so flawed. It's really college football is one of the best sports that we have in America at, at any amateur professional level, whatever you want to call it. It really is one of the best sports that we have, but it is so flawed in determining who gets to compete for its championship that uh, honestly, that really moves it down a peg for me because this is a sport that should be, I mean, it should be NFL one college football too. But the, the college football process of selecting its champion is so flawed that you just roll your eyes at it. And, and if selecting your champion is a flawed process, then it, it just kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it delegitimizes the whole thing. There's a lot more to play for in college football than a national championship. But I can't think of another sport that has a more flawed way to determine its champion than college football. And it's, it, it's tough whenever you're on the side of the school and the team that gets no respect because then it just – Man, it makes your stomach turn knowing what you've got and knowing that none of the people who make the decisions can see it. What's scary is it used to be even more flawed. You would just play your regular season schedule and bowl game, and then you'd have to open the newspaper to see who the national champion was to, to read the poll. That's how it used to be. That's how sad it is that it's still this convoluted and flawed all these years later. Uh, we're going to have Eddie Radosovich on in about 12 minutes, Colby. We'll, we'll wait and give our actual score picks till after we talk to Eddie, but let's get into the game. You said you're kind of waffling back and forth, and I, I have too, the more I've thought more and more about this game. But just kind of tell me where, where you're at right now based on just you kind of thinking about the matchups. Uh, I'm getting more confident as we go. I, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's uh, naivety. Maybe it's just me wanting to be an optimist for once in my life whenever it comes to Bedlam. I don't know. You, you know me, Carson. I'm very pessimistic when it comes to this game. Uh, I believe I made the comment last year and went so far as to say that Mike Gundy would never beat Lincoln Riley because he couldn't get out of his own way. Something just feels different. This team feels like they're looking at Oklahoma and, and they're thinking, you know what? We're a better football team the way than they are, and we're going to go out and prove it on Saturday. And, and Tay Martin's comments, I think, say that. Spencer Sanders' comments, I think, say that. And I have no problem with those guys saying that stuff. So, some people, that, that gets to them, and you're, it's like, oh, you're just motivating the other team, giving them bulletin board material. This is bedlam. Neither side, I promise that Spencer Sanders being confident in a press conference is not going to be the determining factor. Hey, I, I missed the Spencer okay. comments. What did he say? Uh, Spencer basically said, I I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, um, we expect to win. I'm confident that we will. And I know if we do, then everybody will start throwing, basically saying, oh, you fans will start throwing out the uh, history of the game and how many times they've won it. And all Spencer said, but he basically alluded to the fact, if this is the last one and we win it, then guess what? You can talk about your history all you want to. We won that one. There's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with what Tay Martin said. He said, we expect to whoop their ass and we expect that every game it was the follow-up sentence that he said so it, it kind of read different than his actual you know context to his comments which if you don't have that attitude like you shouldn't be playing football like you should think that every time you step on the field and I have no problem with that now I'm sure I'm sure Mike didn't like the bulletin board material and all those things but like again if you're not fired up to play this game with both teams 10 and 1 and it's bedlam and a spot in the big 12 championship game on the line I don't think I don't think you would need Tay Martin to say something in a press conference to, to get you more fired up than you already will be. No, I don't think so either. And I think that Oklahoma State needs a little bit of confidence and a little bit of swag. You go into this game thinking, you know, we, we've struggled in this game, but we're, we've got a good team this year. And we're going to give it everything we've got. I mean, why, why would that even be in the back of your head if you're a player? I understand that from a fan's perspective, but from a player, I mean, you've got to be at practice every week just itching to play Oklahoma to prove that you're the guys. You're the group of guys to get it done against this OU team. Um, and because the reality is, if OSU loses this game, then they get another chance to beat OU next week, but playoff hopes would be dash. You still win the conference title. There'd still be a lot on the line. Nobody on OSU side wants to see two bedlams. I don't want to see two bedlams. You know how many more bedlams I need to see in the next 20 years, Carson? One. I need to see it three days from now, and then we can take a break from each other, and we can reevaluate down the line. 20 years might be a stretch, but I think you get my point. I need to see one more bedlam in the immediate future, and then y'all are welcome to go to the SEC and turn into Arkansas. Good luck. Yeah, Chad Weiberg and 
Dr. Casey Shrum had really good quotes to Max Olson of the athletic kind of breaking down what all occurred in the, the days leading up to Oklahoma leaving and the decision to probably not play Bedlam anymore. And like, Oh, you, Oh, you made the decision for OSU. They said, you're not good enough. We can't bring you with us. And we're breaking and people want to cite that Florida and Florida state play each other. They're in different conferences, Clemson and South Carolina. Well, they haven't been in the same conference for over a hundred years, like Oklahoma and Oklahoma state have. They weren't tied at the hip the last time conference realignment occurred. So don't give me that. And Oklahoma ended Bedlam. And it's a great thing, in my opinion, for OSU to, to stop playing Bedlam. You get, you get away from, I think getting away from Oklahoma will do wonders for Oklahoma State's football program. It just, it really will. And as you look now, Colby, OSU is the preeminent program in the Big 12 moving forward. Cincinnati's been great. I think coming to the Big 12 is going to be a bit of an eye-opener for them, much like it was TCU. Uh, Mike Gundy, he's right about that. He said the team you got to worry about is UCF, being with all those recruits within the you know driving distance of Orlando and the fact that they're now going to have a Big 12 logo on their chest walking into schools. like That's, that's a potential sleeping, I don't want to say giant, but contender in the, in the Big 12. So that – but I, I'm with you, man. I don't need to see Bedlam anymore. Uh, OU, OU made the decision. So good luck. Have fun. Wish you the best. Not really. But OU, there was a great tweet from Yeah, uh, I, I want to make it Slayton. very clear. Real, real quick before you read that tweet. I want to make it very clear that I do not wish them the best at all. Right. That, that was uh, me trying to have a little class on the way out. But yeah, I'm, out on class. I'm out on class. I'm out on class. Slavin had a great tweet. He said, so far this year, Oklahoma has successfully gotten Texas to take the blame for the move to the SEC and OSU to take the blame for the end of Bedlam. <laughs> That's putting yeah. it so well. I mean, yeah. they did it in a shady manner. They did it undercover, which, you know, you could argue they had to in order to not get it blown up like A&M did, try to do it for Texas. But, but no, good riddance. And I, I think it's going to help OSU in the future. I really do. So... Yeah. And the thing is, Carson, if this Saturday is the last Bedlam, then that means by default that OSU won it. Because if OSU loses this week, then we get to do it again next week. Uh, I'll be at Scottsdale next Saturday, so I will not be in the Big 12 championship. I will not be at the Big 12 championship game, but uh, everyone will be happy to know we did have a tea time Saturday. We did cancel it. We will not be playing golf Saturday. We will be watching football. Um. Oh, what was I going to I forgot what I was going to bring up again. But before we bring on Eddie, just – let me let me bring up some stats for you here. Rough day, I don't think, you ready for the weekend? I'm I'm ready, man. I'm running on fumes today. All right. So there is no logical reason other than Squinky and the, the ghosts of Bedlam's past to pick Oklahoma in this game. These were some great stats from uh, Teddy Lehman on the uh, Oklahoma Breakdown podcast, breaking down OU. Do you have any sacks OU's given up the last two games, Colby? Uh, I would guess it's a decent amount. Nine. Whoa. Do you know they're the worst in the Big 12 at giving up sacks? Isn't that insane that a Bill Biedenboe offensive line at the University of Oklahoma? I mean, we've just seen nothing but powerhouses on the offensive line. Joe Moore caliber offensive lines. And, and now it's this. And it's with just as good, if not better, recruiting classes. That's pretty wild. I mean, they're, they're, they're just not very good on the offensive line. They, they struggle to run the football. They, they really do. That, the matchups in this game are so far in OSU's favor, especially when we're talking about the defensive side. Do you know what OU is on third down? Uh, what, what OU is on third down the last two games? The last two games? Uh, yeah. so, so against the best two defenses they faced all year, I'm going to guess it's not good. 19. Wow. So, so I then, mean. Cut out on the first part. What for 19? Three of 19. Three of 19. Whoa, buddy. And what, what does like? OSU do, Colby? They lead the nation in sacks, and they lead the nation in third-down conversion defense. So what, and we'll give our picks when we, after we talk to Eddie. But again, and I, look, I know, OU's defense played really well. I think they had like nine sacks against Iowa State. Their defensive line has really come around, and that's a, that to me is the one glimmer of hope Oklahoma has in this game is their defensive line beats up a – a really kind of injury-ravaged offensive line from Oklahoma State, and OSU can't run the football. 
I, but you just look at what Baylor did to OU's defense with the same running concepts, the same zone running schemes that OSU is going to be running. You look at what Kansas did with the run, the, the running ability of their quarterback. There's a lot on tape that Casey Dunn and the OSU staff can do to this defense. And because to me, that's where this game is going to be won. I think OSU's defense is going to play lights out. I think Caleb Williams is in for a rude awakening. But you just, Colby, I don't know how you feel, but other than the history of this game, certainly Mike Gundy's lack of aggressiveness in this game, and people keep trying to say on the radio, it's just, it's wearing me out that Mike's not that conservative. That's, that's overblown. Just go back to last year. He punted in OU territory twice down by two scores. And they were fourth and long, I grant you. But you're in their territory. You're gaining 15 yards by punting and not giving your offense a chance to continue the drive. So the history of this game and Mike Gundy's lack of aggressiveness in this game, to me, are the only reasons to pick Oklahoma. Yeah, and I really, I don't know what makes me think this, but for some reason, I think Mike Gundy's going to be more aggressive this year. I think that he knows that this is the game the game that can just make everything okay in Stillwater for a long time. You And, you know, that might be a little hyperbolic, but I don't think it's crazy hyperbolic. You win this game, and I think it just lays the foundation for you to take your program to that next level, that level that we've all been waiting on. And I don't think that you you treat that game like punting on fourth and one from your opponent's 39 yard line. I I don't think that you do that in the game that could define you as a coach and your program for the next, you know, recruiting cycle, the next four or five years. I just, for whatever reason, feel like he's going to be a little bit more aggressive. And I do think Oklahoma state's the better team. The, the offensive line injuries worry me. uh, But I just think Oklahoma state's defense is going to be so overwhelming for Oklahoma It's just, I think the under in this game, Carson, with how much I think both offensive lines could struggle, I think the under might be the lock of the year in college football. I looked at it yesterday at 49. I mean, 49 is 26 to 23, and I don't see, I just don't see these teams getting there, and that is so weird to predict for a Bedlam game. We were sitting here one recruiting class ago, Carson, and neither team could be kept under 50, and now I don't think either team can get to 30. It's it's wild how much things have changed. It really is. And remind me to bring up the punting uh, angle that, that you and Kim uh, are so passionate about once we talk to Eddie. But I was going to ask Eddie something about, about the punting. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's take a break, and we'll bring on Eddie Radosevich. All right. Joining us right now is Eddie Radosevich from Soonerscoop.com, from 107.7 The Franchise, and the president and chairman of the Green Bean Casserole Committee. Eddie, what's going on, man? Gentlemen, what's happening? Yeah, this is a uh, this is a big week in the Radosovich household. A little Bedlam football, a little uh, green bean casserole coming up on Thursday for Thanksgiving. It is uh, I, I like when Bedlam is at the end of the season and particularly on uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I've I've been uh, I've been adamant in my approach that Wednesday night of I guess it'd be like Thanksgiving Eve. I think it's the biggest party night of the year. So I'm uh, extremely excited to get the festivities rolling here. Yeah. When did you start uh, on the, when does the green bean casserole start? Like, when do you like, what's the method here? When do you get it going? Uh, Well, we don't, so we don't do a, uh, like, I guess it's like a late lunch, I guess. I, I, we won't eat until tomorrow until like two, two 30. I think it usually gets made pretty early and I'll try to uh, sneak into the kitchen uh, over at my parents' house or over at my aunt and uncle's house where we usually go uh, early, maybe get a couple spoonsfuls uh before the pregame and then uh i go in for the real thing the attack mode around 2 30 right before the cowboys game starts usually so uh it's a I, I, like i don't i don't really space anything out like i i don't like the the divisions of the plate is a really intriguing concept because i go almost three-quarter green bean casserole three-quarter potato casserole and then as much ham and turkey as one can possibly survive I'm not like I I don't go all over the place, I guess. So before we talk about Bedlam football, we might need to have a little Bedlam at the Thanksgiving table. It took us a while, but Baker Mayfield and I finally have some common ground. (laughs) Baker said that green bean casserole is the most overrated Thanksgiving dish. I am not a green bean casserole guy. I don't understand what you people see in it. Explain to me the green bean casserole phenomenon, because I guess I just don't get it. I'm on the outside looking in. Do you, do you not like, is it, is it like just a straight green bean thing that you don't like? Or is it the, no. uh, 
like the the cream that is in it as well. What I don't even know what that stuff it's, is called. Yeah, it's the cream. It's the cream yeah. flavor and the texture that it gives it. Because I like green beans, but you add that creamy flavor and texture, and then all of a sudden, I'm I'm way out. See, I love the uh, I love the uh, the onion straws or whatever that they're on top of it. Oh yeah, I, I'm a big potato casserole guy too. Like I've I've been painted into this corner that I love green bean casserole. Don't get me wrong, but potato casserole with the uh, frosted flakes on top. I could literally probably eat that every day of the week. That's like the, that, that's, the that is probably more just me being a fat ass than anything else. It's like the indie version, like the, the indie band version of uh, green bean casserole. It's like the lesser known great, great uh, side dish. Exactly. Uh, I didn't like it growing up, but I was also a lot more plain Jane when I was younger, but now I'm, I'm all in on the green bean casserole. And I think, I think Eddie's promotion of it certainly helped with that. But yeah, it should be a great week leading into Bedlam, Eddie. I mean, um, from the Sooner perspective, I know it's been so crazy, Eddie. They're they're ten and one. Yeah, they're de- they control their destiny potentially for the college football playoff and Big Twelve championship. A lot has to shake out for that to happen. But it just has felt like a down year for Oklahoma, certainly considering sure. the the preseason expectations. Yeah, and I I think that. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's been, I think because of the preseason expectations, because of the way that people were talking about this team going into August, uh, it has been a little bit of a letdown. Uh, Not to mention that they've had to bench the guy that a lot of people thought was going to be in New York City at the beginning of the year. Uh, You had the uh, kind of the the change in the season that happened down at the Cotton Bowl down in Dallas. Uh, We're 12 weeks into this thing, Carson, and I still don't really know what this team is. But then again, maybe we do know what this team is. And um, you know, I, I think that they've, they've made some steps on the defensive side of the football in the last couple of weeks, but maybe it's a little too little too late. But as you said, they are 10 and one. And I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about that. They found ways to win as ugly as the games have been. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, it, it's kind of the thing that I think has been just the frustrating part with Oklahoma, the fan base and with Lincoln Riley, just as far as every Tuesday, he comes in and says, they're close, they're close, they're close. When in reality, you watch the games and it doesn't seem like they're that close. And, uh, you know, obviously they, they go into Stillwater this weekend, uh, kind of sputtering offensively. And, you know, particularly, uh, you know, at the quarterback position that, you know, I think a lot of people have kind of taken for granted over the last uh, five, six, maybe even more than that uh, years that they got superior play every year in this game, especially from the quarterback position. They were able to run the ball. And, you know, you, you go into this year and the roles are kind of reversed, it seems like. I don't know about as much as the quarterback play, but it does seem like Oklahoma State's playing the much better football. I think that anybody that has watched the two teams play, uh, you know, and particularly over the last month, it seems like Oklahoma State has progressively gotten better, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, coming off of an impressive showing out there in Lubbock, as you guys would uh, would know what more than I. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's been a very strange year. Uh, and then, oh, by the way, they are also 10 and one. So it's just, it's very weird. Uh, it's, it's going to be kind of a fun one. I think that, you know, not too often. I think that you look at the Bedlam game and particularly a game in Stillwater, uh, that Oklahoma is probably the decided underdog in this. And I think it's kind of unique how they're, they're using that this week, uh, you know, almost to their advantage. And, you know, a lot of that stuff isn't going to matter. I've loved the trash talk that's come out of Stillwater from uh, whether it be Tay Martin, what he said in Lubbock. I love that to kind of kick off the Bedlam week. And then uh, Spencer Sanders, what was that, on Monday or Tuesday? So it's going to be a fun one. And then you throw in everything else that goes into this game, uh, whether it be, you know, the, the, the things that surround the game, uh, the SEC move looming in years ahead. Could this be the last one in Stillwater? Uh, it's hard not to look at this and just think that it's going to be uh, kind of one of those all-time bedlams, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, it's really setting up to, to be something special and pretty epic. So my question for you is on that offensive side of the ball, more specifically with the quarterbacks. Obviously, you mentioned you come into the season, Heisman favorite, Spencer Rattler. He's gone halfway through the year, and I, I think what you said about OU fans taking the quarterback position for granted I think that carries a lot of weight because for a month, Caleb Williams goes out there and it's just like, oh, cool. We have Kyler Murray again. And then it's like that has come totally crashing down. Maybe it's partially health. Maybe it's just the schedule flipped and you played all the best defenses in the conference at the end of the year. This is, I mean, it sounds like a simple question, but I don't think it's a simple answer. Eddie, how good is Caleb Williams? 
how good is he right now versus how good could he be? Uh, you know, I, I think that right now he's a, he's a guy that is obviously going through the doldrums of, of being a freshman quarterback and kind of having to learn on the fly. And I think that, you know, he, he wasn't it because he was able or because he was thrown into it, uh, you know, in, in the thick of the schedule. Uh, teams have already made adjustments. They're, they're hitting uh, on all cylinders. And I think that, you know, it certainly doesn't help that, you know, the last two times that you've seen him out there, it's been against a Dave Aranda defense and an Iowa State defense that has always given Oklahoma problems, whether it be Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, even Jalen Hurts. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's pretty obvious that he could end up being – uh, really, really good when it's all said and done. Uh, but to say that I think that Oklahoma is going to say, okay, big boy, go throw the ball 45 times on Saturday night, I don't think that that would be the recipe uh, for success. Uh, you know, they're going to have to be able to run the ball. That's something that they haven't been able to do. Uh, you're talking about an Oklahoma State defense that obviously gets after the quarterback, uh, and it's just beating the shit out of guys up front. I mean, it's defensive line. It's, it's, it's guys just winning battles, and that's been a problem for Oklahoma, particularly over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Caleb Williams has been sacked, I think, nine times uh, going into Saturday night uh, between the Baylor and the Iowa State game. Uh, they've become predictable in third down situations. You know, Oklahoma, for the longest time, it seemed like uh, whether they were in third and eight or third and 15, it was like, yeah, Baker's just going to flop it out there and they're going to be able to fig- figure out a way to pick up a first down. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was thrown out there this week that the, over the last two weeks, Oklahoma's now three for 19 on third down. Uh, you know, a lot of the times on those Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray de- uh, offenses, they didn't even get to third down. It was first and second down, and they were they were just humming. So, uh, you know, they haven't probably uh, the the guys around Caleb Williams certainly haven't uh, done their part. They've they've had some question marks at the wide receiver position. Uh, it just hasn't all come together, and I think that a lot of that starts up front. Uh, you know, they they if it's been one thing, it's been another. Uh, they, they haven't been able to run the ball consistently. And even sometimes, uh, Lincoln Riley would be the first person to tell you that they probably haven't put Caleb Williams in the best situation either, uh, for him to succeed. So it's like, so when you start talking about like what Oklahoma is going to have to do offensively to move the ball against, you know, obviously the best defense that they played all season, you kind of start checking off like the boxes and it's like, well, they can't do that. They can't do that. They can't do that. That's, that's why it's hard for me to think that you know, not only will Oklahoma struggle to move the ball consistently, but uh, enough to, uh, to, 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 to make it a, a game in the fourth quarter, even though the, it might be a little bit different on the scoreboard. Yeah, and there's, there's been so much focus, and some of it rightfully so, on the quarterback spot with Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. And, I, and look, as great as Kyler and Baker were, and Jalen Hurts even, I don't need to tell you that or anyone listening how great they were, but you just go back and look at the offensive lines they played behind – Sure. These were Eddie. These were NFL offensive linemen, virtually throughout the entire starting lineup, basically since Bill Bedenboe and Lincoln Riley have gotten together. And which, and so as much as people complain about Lincoln Riley's play calling and the fact he doesn't stick with the running game, to me the offensive line has by far and away been the biggest problem with OU this year. They they couldn't run the ball. I think that's why they have to play Caleb because he can manufacture some rushing yards, and certainly that's going to be a huge concern for Oklahoma State. But what happened, man? I mean, Bill Biedenboe has been the best assistant coach they've had under Lincoln Riley. He's been unbelievable as an offensive line coach. And it's not as if – I think people tend to say, oh, they're young. But they're not that young. They returned everyone but Creed Humphreys, my understanding. So what's been the, what's been the problem with the offensive line? Yeah, it's, it's kind of been a little bit of everything. I think that, you know, the, 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 like the real inside baseball answer, I think that a lot of people would tell you is – uh, they might be asking them to do a little too much, get to more zone blocking. You saw that a little bit last week against Iowa State. In games that Oklahoma's been able to run the ball this year, it's been more of a zone blocking system. But overall, it's just been inconsistent, and it, it hasn't come together, I think, like a lot of people thought it would. Uh, Anton Harrison has struggled at times. Uh, you know, Tyrese Robinson moving out to tackle. Uh, he's been good, but, he, I mean, he hasn't been all Big 12 good or anything like that, I wouldn't think. Chris Murray's been up and down. Uh, Andrew Rame's been up and down. We'll see if he ends up starting. He got hurt at the end of the, uh, or uh, in the third quarter against Iowa state, they'd probably go with Robert Conjol, the, uh, the, the grad transfer from Arizona, if he's not able to go at center. Uh, and then, uh, Marquis Hayes has just been up and down. I mean, it, it just, it's been up and down. They've, they've had some good series and then it seems like they take a step back. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think that there are certainly some frustrations there. And you're right. It's like, I think part of Spencer Rattler's, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, downfall, if you will, uh, was because his offensive line was just awful at the first part of the year. And uh, Caleb Williams has been able to, you know, make some things up with his legs. Uh, it will be interesting to see on Saturday night kind of what that the flow of that first quarter is like, because I think that, you know, as, a, as, as we said earlier, it's like, Oklahoma is not going to be able to move the ball uh, or I mean, uh, they're not going to be able to win the game if they can't run the ball. It comes down to if you look up and all of a sudden, uh, you know, <laughs> Oklahoma is running the ball for, you know, less than two and a half yards of carry or something. Uh, it could get ugly. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's a tough ask. Not in, nobody's been able to run the ball on Oklahoma State this year. Uh, and so, I, you know, that's going to be kind of interesting to see what that. Oklahoma State defensive line versus Oklahoma's offensive line brings uh, to the table. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't think it's going to be like in, uh, you know, years past when it seems like Kennedy Brooks has been able to uh, basically get whatever he wanted when he wanted. But they're going to have to be smart about it. And they're going to have to build some confidence in Caleb Williams early because, uh, you know, guys, we're talking about an offense that struggled in Lawrence. And it wasn't necessarily the crowd, I don't think. It was just they were out of rhythm. Uh, they, they struggled in Bay in Waco early. Uh, you know, really kind of the entire game. So, uh, you know, they're walking into uh, kind of a hornet's nest on Saturday night. And you would you would imagine that, uh, you know, they're going to have the struggles that every freshman would usually have up there uh, and even more some because uh, because of kind of the uphill battle that they're uh, they're rolling against. Let's look at the flip side of the football, Eddie. OU's defensive line last week, those four guys, Perrion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, Jalen Redmond, and Nick Benito, I thought for the first time all year looked like what I thought they would look like coming into the year. It is Has something changed there? I know obviously getting healthy is a big thing, but did you see something last weekend that made you think that that group could be the elite group that I think everybody thought that maybe it could, and how scared should Oklahoma State be of OU's defensive front if they get that working? Yeah, they, they're certainly, they're coming off their best uh, game of the year. Jalen Redman might be coming off the best game of his career. Uh, he had four quarterback hurries last week against Iowa State. Uh, you know, they, they pair on Winfrey finally starting to play a little bit better. It, it's just rounding back into a little bit of form of what I think a lot of people thought this defense was going to look like at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, does that coincide with the return of, uh, of Jalen Redman? Does it coincide with the return of Woody Washington being able to play a little bit better out of one of the cornerback positions? I don't know. I mean, it's hard not to say that it, it doesn't have something to do with a lot of it, but uh, you know, that defensive line has certainly played a little bit better. And I think because of that, you've seen Brian Osamoa play better at the linebacker position. You've seen Deshaun white play a little bit better at uh, the, at the, at the other linebacker position. So uh, you know, if Oklahoma, it, it's just as important as being able to run the football. Uh, they have to take advantage of, of you know, I, I guess it's a, it's an advantage uh, up front, uh, whether it be Nick Benito working on a tackle or whether it be Perry on Winfrey or Jalen Redman uh, or Isaiah Thomas, who's having a really good season as well. So, uh, you know, that unit kind of uh, sets the tone for the rest of uh, everything that happens. And, you know, over the last couple of weeks, even though that they weren't able to uh, to finish the job in Waco, they have progressively gotten better, whether, whether it be that tech game uh, and, and kind of the return of everybody, or you look at the game in Waco and they played well through three quarters. They just got tired at the end. I mean, they, they ran a lot of plays. Baylor was able to wear them down. And I, th I think that like, that's the recipe. Uh, if you're Oklahoma state offensively, you look at what Baylor was able to do. You look at, uh, kind of what Iowa state was able to do and keep those guys out on the field and move the sticks and go on long uh, possessions. And, uh, if you're able to do that, I think this is a defense that kind of wears down in the fourth quarter and they have let games get away from them like you saw in Waco. And uh, so I, that's kind of what, what's going to be the most inter interesting part to me. You know, it, it's always kind of a thing with Oklahoma defensively is can they get off the field on third down? And if they can, uh, you know, get into third and eight uh, or third and six, third and eight, you know, third and long uh, and, and try to make Spencer Sanders predictable. And if they can do that, uh, I think that they feel like they have a pretty good, pretty good shot at keeping this thing uh, uh, within striking distance in the fourth quarter. Uh, but then again, you know, we, we've seen cracks in this defense before. Uh, and, you know, just tackling uh, Jalen Warren seems like that's going to be a, a tough task in and of itself. And uh, tackling has not been a strong suit of, uh, of this group. I, I, Oklahoma would kill for a guy like a Malcolm Rodriguez.
Yeah, he's he's a stud. And the game kind of looming over OSU fans' heads is that 2013 game you and I were texting about earlier in the week. I mean, sure. that OU team was, you know, the program was teetering, and, and they they found ways to to win up front on the defensive line, like we've just been talking about. And Eddie, quite frankly, I'm just thankful you're able to join us in the podcast because you were at that 2013 game and, and you almost got decapitated by a turkey yeah, leg. I almost got beheaded. I'm I'm glad you're here, but that <laughs> you mentioned that you mentioned the Hornets nest. This is going to be a different level of vitriol with Bedlam sure. considering the SEC move and considering this could be the last time OU sets foot in Stillwater for forever, for all we know. Just Tell me about what you expect that environment to be like. And, and obviously that's going to be a tough thing for, for Caleb Williams to navigate because he hadn't been as good on the road as he has been in Norman. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I I've been up at uh, Gallagher Iba, uh, you know, multiple times where it seems like maybe, I guess maybe that Trey young game is one that has always stuck out to me here over the last couple of years. Uh, when you just feel the crowd building a little bit, kind of like Allen Fieldhouse, I know it's a different sport, but uh, you, you feel the crowd building and there's really not a whole lot you can do with it. Once the, uh, once everything gets kind of rolling down the hill. And I think that, you know, the one thing Oklahoma has been able to do in recent years up at Boone Pickens is, uh, they've been able to take some crowds out of the game, uh, and, uh, and build leads or at least build doubt. And I think that, you know, it's kind of odd to have to put it like that, but for this Oklahoma group, I think that there's going to be a lot of that, uh, you know, in the first quarter, in the first half, just as far as, Lay a little bit of doubt. Get, let, let yourself think that you have a little bit of a chance to run the ball. Let yourself, uh, you know, silence Oklahoma State offensively early to build some confidence for that defense and, and, and try to get a lead because, uh, you know, with the expectations going into it, and, you know, I don't think that the, the history of this game really plays a role once the ball is kicked on Saturday night, but uh, you do want to be able to, to, to lay a little bit of doubt uh, that, you know, you're not going anywhere, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. And if they're able to do that, uh, maybe strap in for a four-quarter game. If not, uh, and, you know, all of a sudden you look up and it's 14 to three or something like that, I think you could get pretty sideways in the second half. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that Oklahoma has been able to handle adversity very well. But then again, I say that, and they were able to dig out of the 28-10 hole against Texas. Uh, but this, this feels a little bit different. Like, even when they went down 17-7 in Waco, uh, with the way that Oklahoma or the inability of Oklahoma and, and, and their inability to move the football, you kind of knew that, that they weren't going to get in the cards that day. And, uh, you know, that's when you go back to that 2013 game, it's like they, they just gave themselves a chance and they, they were able to take a lead in the fourth quarter uh, or at least stick around in the fourth quarter until that, that final drive. Uh, and it was because of small things that, at the beginning of that game. I mean, we were, Carson, we were talking about the, uh, the Des Roland, uh, Desmond Roland uh, touchdown that was called back, uh, you know, on the first play of the game. And I think that, you know, it's, it's little things like that, uh, that, that in this game certainly play a big part. And, uh, you know, special teams, obviously they had the fake field goal uh, in 2013. I think a lot of people forget that Jalen Saunders scored the first touchdown on a, uh, on a fake punt. I mean, uh, on a, on a punt return. So, uh, you know, it's, it's little things like that in this game that have seemed like to always play the biggest role. Uh, and you know, it'd be interesting because Oklahoma has not been good. Uh, well, they, they haven't been good in the kicking game. Gabe Burkett just kind of lost his damn mind over the last two weeks, but, uh, Michael Turk has been good, uh, punting the ball. And, you know, it, it's small stuff like that. If, if they're not going to be able to move the ball, they're going to have to take advantage of being able to flip the field. And you want to think that wind's going to be a problem on Saturday night. It's supposed to be beautiful. So, um, you know, Listen to me, guys. This is this is where Oklahoma is offensively. We're talking about a punter that transferred in the offseason. <laughs> We're talking about what, how great the punter is. Transferred, <laughs> it's like, why would you transfer to punt at Oklahoma? Why would you transfer to punt? He's a soothsayer. He's a soothsayer. He knew. Yeah, I guess he knew that this offense was going to take a dip. <laughs> you know, so much gets made of the coaching in this game, especially with Gundy, because it seems like he puckers up a lot in this game. Two and 14. We all know that. Eddie, we've, I've seen a lot of talk, and I've heard people, friends of mine that are OU fans, talk about Lincoln Riley and about how they haven't been just over the moon with, with some of the things happening on offense this year. Is, is much of that Riley? Is it offensive line? Uh, what is that? And are OU fans ungrateful for having one of the best offensive coaches in the game? Of course they are. But, that, I mean, that's, we, we've known that for a long time. It, it, it was hilarious last week. I'm like, after the game, I'm up at, uh, you know, the stadium doing some post game stuff, get out of the zoom 
which is stupid. Don't get me started that we have to still do post games on Zoom. But uh, it it was hilarious that like I'm reading through the game notes and you get on the Crimson Corner or whatever and all these threads about, you know, you know, Riley needs to move on. They need to find an offense coordinator, yada, yada, yada. And then you go through the game notes and it's like, Lincoln Riley's tied Bob Stoops for most wins in the first five years of being the head coach at the University of Oklahoma and everything else that comes into it. And like you do forget, you kind of get lost in the sauce a little bit that, uh, you know, I don't think that I, I do think that people realize how good they had it when they had offenses that were scoring at a historical rate. Uh, but at the same time, I think that you can be like honest with uh, with yourself and say that uh, this probably hasn't moved in the direction that I think a lot of people thought it was going to, especially going back into the expectations of August and, you know, with a, with a returning quarterback and not being able to, to take those steps. Uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, certainly a disappointment in the kind of the, uh, I guess, production from the quarterback position, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to like there because I do think that, you know, as young as he is, Caleb Williams uh, has show, has had moments that you go, yep, that's going to be a guy that's probably going to be in New York city. Uh, before he finishes his career in Norman or Baton Rouge, wherever uh, wherever Lincoln Riley takes him, right? All right, Eddie, did you pick this game? We'll get you out of here on this. Did you pick this game on the, the franchise at all? Uh, no, I, we haven't because I think we were going to come back and do it on Friday. But, uh, you know, it, it comes down to a couple of things. It, it, it seems like it's Oklahoma makes they're, – they're, they're, they're not the disciplined football team, uh, you know, between the two schools. I, I, I think that Oklahoma State, uh, because – uh, you know, I thought the Caden McFarland thing that he threw out there a couple of weeks ago, I did not realize how many guys over 21 years of age that uh, Oklahoma State has defensively. It makes sense why they are such a good unit. It makes sense why they, you know, outside of, uh, you know, probably a Malcolm Rodriguez or Harvey, Harvell Peel, they don't have a quote unquote household name on that side of the football, but it's 11 guys that are very, very good at what they are doing. They understand where they're supposed to be. They don't miss tackles. Uh, it's just small stuff like that that I think is going to be the the deciding factor. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think it's going to be a game into the fourth quarter because Bedlam is usually Bedlam. Uh, but, you know, as, as crazy as it sounds, I think I, I trust Spencer Sanders to make uh, more plays than Caleb Williams. And that's probably the deciding factor. I think it's going to be 34-23, something like that. Uh, th- let me ask you guys. Am I crazy? Like, and it, it dawned on me. I was, I was watching Lincoln Riley's coach's show the other night, uh, Tuesday night. And it dawned on me that, like, with all the returning seniors on this Oklahoma State team, they are the, the team that everybody nationally thought Iowa State was going to be. Are they not? Absolutely. Yes, 100%. 100%. Okay. Okay. Like, I, obviously, Jalen Warren isn't Brees Hall, but I don't think, like, I don't think anybody expected, uh, you know, Jalen Warren to bust on the scene. I mean, we were talking, I, I remember walking into the studios after that uh, Missouri State game. It's like, how the hell is OSU going to get to six or seven wins? I mean, what an incredible job Mike Gundy's been able to put together. Jim Knowles obviously going to win the Broyles Award this year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun to watch, I guess, from afar, if, if that makes sense. Uh, just because, you know, I, I don't think that there was a lot of people that believed him. And when they're down 17 to three in Austin, it's like, all right, well, this is, this is, this is probably the, uh, the loss that is coming. And then all of a sudden, with the Jason Taylor pick six, it seemed like the season just kind of flipped its flipped on its head and it's been uh, quite a run, quite a run. Yep, it sure has. Yeah. We expected this defense to be good. Cause I mean, they, they were, I think they led the nation in third down defense last year, but we didn't know they were going to be Georgia good. And that's really flipped this season on its head because as well as Sanders has played in the last few weeks, that's been, that's been the reason they're, you know, number seven in the country right now. So Eddie, it's going to be fun. I will see you. Uh, I'll see you tonight at the Jones Assembly for the party of the oh, year. I Graham will be Colton there. Playing at the it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. And uh, I hope to see you on Saturday. I'll be up in the suites. I'll be uh, living the good life up Look there. Look at you. Of- you, get, you get Saturdays off nowadays and you just you, you fly all over the state going to football games, drinking all afternoon. To say I'm jealous would be an understatement. It well, bougie. He's bougie up in the suite. I'm, I'm be, trying I'm to be. West end zone. I'm in the West End Zone, cold like everybody else. With the yeah. with the people, Colby. Stay with the people. With the people, always. Yeah, those the suites might be a little chilly. I might bring a, a pull a quarter zip up there in the suite. It might get a little cold with the AC going. So they're not pretty, doing pretty like bougie a, they're up not there. Doing like a full blackout or anything, are they? Like they did a couple weeks ago. I don't no. think so. No. But I I'll imagine they're going to wear all black again or something sure. close to that. So Bedlam, uh, Bedlam and Stillwater hits, hits, it's hits different. It, it's just a different experience. It's a game that 
you know, and I think this year I'm going to take it in a little bit more maybe than usual, knowing that it might be the last one. So uh, it's going to be fun. I look forward to it, guys. Appreciate All it. Right, Eddie. Appreciate it, man. Eddie. We'll see you later. Eddie Radosevich from Sooner Scoop and 107.7. Always good to catch up with Eddie. He's a, he's a great dude, does a great job, and he's, he's created quite the uh, persona for himself on, on social media as well. And uh, he'll be on the sidelines. So don't throw any turkey legs at Eddie. If you, I mean, don't throw any turkey legs in general, but don't throw them at Eddie because we, we need him. We have to preserve him. He's a national treasure. Eddie's a good dude. We like Eddie. Don't throw turkey legs at Eddie. I mean, don't throw things at people on the field anyway, like you said, but don't throw turkey legs at Eddie. Absolutely. Uh, let's get back into the game, Colby. Just kind of. I kind of wanted to present to you because I think we're both going to pick up from the state just based on what we've talked about so far and what we talked about with Eddie here. Here's kind of the blueprint, I think, for OSU to lose the game. I think first and foremost, the defensive line, which we've talked a lot about beating up OSU's offensive line, making OSU throw the football a bunch. That, that to me is by far the biggest key. But another one for me is Lincoln Riley even last year's Bedlam, when OSU's offense could do nothing, OSU's defense kept them in the game. Lincoln has these kind of what I call just straight-up gadget plays where he gets dudes, particularly Jeremiah Hall and his fullback, Dimitri Flowers before him. He loves to go to his H-back on these kind of trick plays that Spencer Rattler threw to him on a touchdown that kind of broke open that game. For me, Colby, Stopping Jalen Warren with the defensive line and just keeping an eye on Jeremiah Hall with those gadget plays Lincoln Riley does are by far the, the biggest reasons of concern for me. Yeah, for me, I think it's th – those things are definitely concerns. Lincoln Riley can do some, some of that stuff, and I'm sure he's crafting new stuff. He knows how big this game is. He's going to throw the kitchen sink uh, at Oklahoma State. I wonder where that saying comes from, by the way. I need to look that up. Like, who's throwing a kitchen sink at somebody? That's, anyway, this is where my brain goes. Uh, but what worries me, I think the blueprint for OU winning this game is, number one, turnovers. Uh, now, as good as Oklahoma State's defense is, you turn the ball over, you lose the turnover battle, it doesn't automatically mean you lose the game. Oklahoma State lost the turnover battle by three to Baylor, won that game by double digits. So this defense is so good that you can get away with some of that, but, boy, you really don't want to have to because that's going to put a lot of pressure and a lot of stress on that defense. And the other thing, Carson, is punting on fourth and inches from OU's 38-yard line. Uh, you know, you've got fourth and inches on OU's 32 and you elect to kick up 49 or 50-yard field goal and you miss it. Stuff like that, that stuff adds up over the course of the game. Go be aggressive. This is the biggest game that I can remember for Oklahoma State football in a long, long time. Go be aggressive and go win the game. Don't hope that OU loses it. Go win the game. Knock them off the ball and go win. So uh, those would be my concerns. Turnovers. And then, uh, again, like we've seen in the past, just getting overly, overly conservative to the point that it's detrimental to your team. So if those two things don't happen, if both teams play a clean game, I think Oklahoma State wins it. Now, you know I'm team no punt with you, right? I'll preface it with that. But there is somewhat of an argument to be made that this year's team with the defense, it's not – it's not the wrong decision, maybe, perhaps, the way this team is built. What would you say to that with, with the way – because, look, it, it worked against Tech. I mean, just kicking short field goals, it, it ended up working because their defense is so good. I'm of the opinion OU's different, obviously, for obvious reasons. But do you think this team sets up to where it's not as an egregious of a decision, or you just say that you got to let it all hang out regardless? So you'll notice on my example I said fourth and inches from OU's 38 because that would be egregious. Fourth and six from OU's 45, I get it. You punt there, I get it. I mean, you, you can you can have Tom Hunt, who's done a good job pinning teams inside the 10, get them to start down there and march the full length of the field. I get it at that point. The, the only ones I think that would make me lose my mind on Saturday is like you're across OU's 45 and it's fourth and less than one. If it's less than one that you need, you've got to go get it. If it's, you know, fourth and four from OU's 44 and their defensive line's having a ton of success and you're struggling to block up front, okay, I get it. You want to pin them at the five-yard line and go on. Um, I Again, that puts a lot of pressure on your punter because if you punt from OU's 40 and it's a touchback, then all of a sudden that doesn't look like near as good of a decision as if you punt from the 40 and the ball gets down to the two-yard line. So your punt team has to be good. Your punter has to be good. Um, so, again, fourth and less than one, 
once you've crossed midfield, I always like going for it in that scenario. But those kind of fourth and mediums from the 40, 45-yard line, if, if you're not getting the push up front and you think you need to punt in that situation, so be it. My, my, my whole thing is go for the obvious ones. Go for the obvious ones. Fourth and two inches from the 27-yard line, don't line up for a 44, 45-yard field goal. Go get two inches. Yep, I'm, I'm in total agreement. I'm with you. There, what you mentioned is perfect. There, there are obvious situations, and those are the ones that I will not stand for, and I hope Mike just lets it all hang out, man. You got to in this game. All right, it's decision time, Colby. What's your, uh, what's your pick for the game? So I'm, I see it more lower scoring than Eddie. I love, 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 love the under in this game. I just think both defenses uh, are going to make life tough for both offenses. I don't think either team's going to be able to run the ball exceptionally well, and that just doesn't set up well. So I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I, I do weirdly trust Oklahoma State not to turn the ball over, and I, I do trust Mike Gundy to make the right decisions. I've got it at, uh, I think it's going to be 17 to 13, kind of midway through the fourth. And then I think Oklahoma State scores a touchdown uh, mid-late fourth quarter, five, six minutes left. I think Oklahoma State wins the game 24 to 13 in what I hope will be the last Bedlam game we see for quite some time. Wow. Got them covering big time. I like it. Yep. I'm right there with you. And again, it. I've gone through the range of emotions. Um I've really been more and more concerned about OU's defensive line the closer this game gets. But as I've said earlier in the show, there is no other reason to pick Oklahoma in this game. The matchups are clearly in Oklahoma State's favor. For the first time since 2011, they are the better team. Or 2013, I think they were by far the better team because that, that OU team wasn't very good. But it is time for OSU to be the bully in this game. And that's what I expect to see. I don't. I'm, I'm with Eddie. I don't think the history matters to this defense. I don't think it matters to Spencer Sanders. What matters is this defense getting off the field on third down and forcing a young quarterback. They feasted on young quarterbacks as of late. As good as Caleb Williams is and is going to be, the, the, the range of coverages that Jim Knowles and the disguises he has, I think is going to wreak havoc on him. I think they even go to Spencer Rattler in this game. I really do. And I think that's the worst decision they could possibly make because they will light him up in the pocket. He is a statue, and they will get after him even more than they do Caleb Williams. So with all that said, I'm picking Oklahoma State 34 to 10. You heard me. 34 to 10. This game should should look exactly like 2011, which was 44 to 10. Oh, man. Oh, 34 to 10? You've got me uh, a little fired up just with your prediction there. I mean, I, I just think I think they're going to open the game throwing the ball to the Braves of the world, the Brennan Presleys. The, OU doesn't have anybody that can cover Tay Martin. They don't. I, I watched OU very closely this year. And if, if OSU comes out throwing the football to give some room to that running game, it's going to be lights out if they have success with that early. And I just think the, they need to use Spencer's legs early to make, make OU respect it to where it opens up lanes for Warren. If they just try to hand it off off tackle from the start, I think they're going to be in for a slow start and a long game. So if they come out and open it up, which I, I think they will do, I think they need to do against that defensive front, I, I fully expect OSU to win this game handily. And again, if OU wins this game, you can try to rub it in my face. That's fine. But there's no logical reason, as it stands right now on Wednesday, to pick Oklahoma other than their defensive line's playing really well and OSU's offensive line's beat up. I think that's going to be a factor, but I just think Spencer Sanders has played really well. I think he's come into his own. And this OU, this OU defense is nothing special. I mean, until Iowa State, they were among the worst teams in the, in the conference in sacking the quarterback. And OSU's the best at not letting the opposing team sack their quarterback in the Big 12 by far. So but I just – I don't see an avenue for OU. I really don't. But just along those same lines, Carson, one thing that gives me a little bit of confidence is what have we seen from Spencer Sanders the last six weeks? He's not holding on to the ball too long. He's throwing it away when he needs to. What did Brock Purdy do last week? His most successful Oklahoma has been uh, defensively all season long. And why was that? Because Brock hold, Purdy was holding the ball for three to four seconds too long. Brock Purdy, you remember the play in the game where Perry on Winfrey almost decapitated him? Yeah, That's yeah. because Brock Purdy rolled out of the pocket to the right sideline and then, while still looking down the field, turns and starts casually rolling back toward the defense that's pursuing from the backside. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen a quarterback do in my life. He got exactly what he deserved for doing such a thing. 
if that happens with Spencer Sanders, I don't think Spencer does that. I think he throws the ball away and lives to fight another day. Same thing on the scoop and score at the end of the first half with Brock Purdy. What happened? He held on to the ball way, way too long, and then he even tried to hold on to it and tuck it and hold on to it even longer. Spencer Sanders hasn't been doing that. I, I feel confident. I just hope, you know, I do think Oklahoma State's the better team, but I think the mentality is different than in years past. I think this team is walking into that stadium on Saturday night with the mentality, look, we've got 60,000 people here who know that we're the better team. We know that we're the better team. They know that we're the better team. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out and we're going to prove it. And I think that that mentality is different than it's been in years past. I hope that that mentality goes all the way up to the head coach. Uh, and I hope Saturday night gets here fast because Carson, I am, it is Wednesday. I am itching to get to this game tomorrow and Friday are going to drag on forever until we can finally get to that. What? 6:30, kick on Saturday night. It is going to be absolutely electric. As I mentioned, the vitriol is going to be out of control and OSU's Twitter account has just tweeted at me, Colby, because I asked them, will Warren be leading the team onto the field riding BB and, uh, and cowboy football just tweeted, stay tuned for Warren's entrance. Warren Clay, hey. the, the young cowboy fan, that place, that that place is going to be going psycho once Warren gets the gets the crowd fired up. Let's go! I need Warren Clay. I need him. I need him oh. on the field at Boone Pickens Stadium. Uh, I'm that's I'm fired up. I'm glad they replied to you too because now we can kind of anticipate it. Everyone's going to lose their minds when they see Warren. Oh, it's going to be so good. And again, you've got black, orange, black as your combo. I've got orange, black, orange. Colby, I can't wait. It's going to be an epic bedlam one way or another, and. Um, I hope I hope I'm under the neon palms with my uh, my victory cigar, a la Jim Jim Knowles. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. Be responsible. Go, folks.